What is up, people? And thank you so much for listening in to this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. Obviously, it's been a little minute, so we're glad to be back. Obviously, the circumstances aren't the greatest for our return here, as we've seen, you know, these massive protests uh, in professional sports due to the shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin. Uh, a young black man shot seven times in the back by a police officer, and that has sparked wide-ranging protests and strikes in various sports, particularly the NBA, which started it off Wednesday with the Milwaukee Bucks, who, of course, play in the same state that Mr. Blake was shot, decided not to come out um, and play their Game 5 matchup with the Orlando Magic. Other teams that were set to play that day, the Thunder, the Rockets, the Lakers, and Blazers, all were uh, in the midst of deciding not to play as well. Um, we had major league baseball games get canceled because certain teams decided not to play. The Dodgers decided not to play. The Mariners decided not to play. Um, all of those subsequent, the Milwaukee Brewers, of course, got to got to shot them out. They decided also not to play. Of course, they also play in the same state as Mr. Blake. Um, that subsequently led into Thursday, which has had seen more action involved with games being postponed due to um, protests and, and just unrest amongst professional athletes. Plenty of NFL teams that were scheduled to have practice today for training camp canceled practice. We had the NHL postponed games. We've had uh, more NBA games postponed and really just like a whole dramatic situation kind of come about in terms of what was really going to be the future of um, definitely the NBA. You know, I don't know maybe about, you know, hockey and baseball, but there was definitely questions about would the NBA even continue. So we're going to get into all that stuff, man. It's obviously, again, not the uh, the, the the most lighthearted topic to talk about, but don't confuse, I guess, me saying that it's like lighthearted and it's a tough time to come and talk about it with lack of pride in the action being taken by the players like i couldn't be more proud of everything i've seen from these athletes um it's just unfortunate that we have to keep doing this and we have to the the athletes have to bear the brunt of this uh of this fight for equality of this fight against racism so we're going to talk all about it joining me is my co-host starting with kendall stewart man it's good to good to have you back what's up dude yeah ej been a uh like you said very interesting week um in the NBA, obviously, uh, a lot to get to um, regarding the kind of the postponement of these playoff games, uh, seemingly till Saturday. This was a very interesting situation, not one that I expected. Uh, you know, when there was the initial talk about boycotting games, I, I didn't think it would get to that. But um, the Milwaukee Bucks kind of really stunned the entire nation with their with their uh, with their uh, decision. To, to boycott the game, and that really obviously sent ripple effects throughout the entire sports world. Sports world. So, yeah, no, I mean, this is a uh, really unprecedented time, honestly, to be a sports fan uh, beyond the the obvious pandemic situation that we've been dealing with since March. Since March, but now, um, you know, we've got more and more unprecedented things that have happened. Uh, starting this week so i mean it's it's very very interesting but you know we'll get to all that and lastly i want to i want to point point to something you just said i want to stay right there you said that you did not think it would come to this despite some of the rumors not rumors because the guys were talking about it i guess the the 
the, the conversation, the, the conversation, the the open musing about whether sitting out games and protesting was the next step for the players. But you, why do you think that you didn't think that it would um, it would come to this? And, and for the audience, you know, I don't. This is you know, our show is usually pretty structured. This is not really a super structured show. This is going to be just a conversation for the next uh, 45, 50 minutes or so. Um, so this is going to be kind of how it's going to be. So so brace yourself. But what, why didn't you think that it was going to come to this? Um, well, I think, honestly, a lot of that comes down to, um, I, you know, the play, I mean, this happened, what, this weekend? Was the Blake uh, incident? I feel like I saw the video, like, Sunday. Sunday or Monday. Right. It was either Sunday or Monday. It was it was late. If it was the weekend, it was late. It wasn't like Saturday, right? Which I mean, look, I mean, the Floyd situation took a couple of days for people to kind of for it to kind of really circulate. But yeah. um, you know, this is something that when you know when you heard it, it wasn't like um, there, this wasn't an immediate reaction. It took time for guys to think about this and talk about this. And I mean, I guess you know once you get to a certain time, you figure you know guys were playing. You know, guys had played the day before and the day before that. You know, with this hadn't been out there, so. I, I didn't expect uh, I didn't expect guy that you know guys would play, but you know the Milwaukee Bucks is a different situation, and the conversation that really started to rise. And um, I mean, I get it. And once the once the protests were happening, I think that's when the it it, it really hit a fever pitch, um, and why the Bucks made their decision. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a little surprising, um, but. Ultimately, I mean, there's a lot of layers to this thing beyond even the initial decision to uh, to boycott and whether or not that was surprising. You know, the the I think overall the entire conversation about um, not playing is a very interesting one, and you know, it reminds me very similar of the conversation that people had um, in March or not even in March, but in like May about uh, not playing and yeah. whether or not. They should go about it. So uh, it does feel a little bit like deja vu that we're having this conversation again. But, you know, I, I think it's, a, it's it's an interesting one. Yeah, and I do want to get to that aspect of it soon. But staying quickly on just the Bucks and their decision and what we thought would happen. I, this wasn't as surprising to me. Again, I guess maybe I kind of teased it in like the way I asked the question, but when, when you get to the point where you're openly musing about sitting out, now maybe there is like the, 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 the kind of revisionist history aspect where you're like, well, we've heard like kind of this talk before or like this murmur before and nothing's really happened, particularly with the down. Now I don't say nothing happened with Donald Sterling because the, 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 the Clippers at the time did have some kind of protest. They did do something. They turned their juries inside out, put them in the middle court or whatever. Like, um, but I guess like that was like the last time you heard real really about like protests being an actual thing, and then we've heard it throughout all of this time um, during all these shootings. It's like it's always usually something like more of a media talking point, not really anything I've heard from like actual athletes. Where it's like, oh, you guys just stop playing, like that would really make change. But like I felt like they kind of turned a corner when I started hearing um, the comments from Fred VanVleet from Jason Tatum, from um, Jalen. Like, it just seemed like they turned a corner and you could see their attitudes towards this whole thing 
just change. And and I say change, and maybe that's unfair because we didn't actually see their demeanors, their feelings when they were having those very spirited discussions in late spring about whether or not they should actually even consider coming back given what had happened with Mr. Floyd. Um, so maybe that's unfair, but I'm just saying from how I saw them come into this bubble and, you know, that's months, right? Is Or at least a month since, no, yeah, months after you know, uh, Mr. Floyd died and we had the, the, the months of, you know, people marching in the street. We still have people marching in the street for George Floyd, let alone what we have going on in Kenosha, uh, Wisconsin. Um, you know, they were unified, they were strong, but you didn't see the sense of sadness, the sense of hopelessness that, like, I saw from those guys when I they started talking on Monday and Tuesday. That was different. That was, again, a sense of, like, what am I here for? And if we're not going to protest and not sit out games, then what are we really doing, you know? So when I saw those guys talk and I heard those guys talk and I saw the pain they had, and then, of course, you know, then Doc Rivers had just his just really just like unbelievable. Um, I don't know if I call it a speech. I, I wouldn't even, and I wouldn't call it a rant, but just just kind of just uh, uh, just a uh, kind of confessional. You know, that's what I would call it. Just a confessional, just about like just how he feels about seeing um, political figures use weaponize. Uh, the trauma that black people are using to actually instill fear into white folks and how that is heartbreaking and crushing. And I think if you're a black American, I am not going to say, I cannot speak for every black American, so I'm not going to say that. But I think for a lot of black people, it, it was very, you couldn't listen to Doc and not feel something. Like you couldn't hear that and think, wow, yeah, like, like, I don't know. It was very, very moving. So so with all that being said, it felt like this was building up. I think in one sense, the Bucks, I don't want to say, you know, I felt kind of almost like Sucker Punch at the Bucks did it because they really weren't saying much. I think maybe George Hill on Wednesday may have, like, kind of spoke about we shouldn't really have been here. But I didn't hear anything about protests. It just was like this, we shouldn't have been here. And he was one of the guys, apparently, I think that was never for going to the bubble. Um, but that was really it. I thought I we all my eyes were all focused on what was going to happen when the Raptors and Celtics was played. That was where I was expecting something to happen, but then you no, know, I we kind of it didn't even dawn on me. Oh wait, the Bucks play in the same state; it's forty miles away from where they play in their new arena. Of course, they would be the team that would maybe feel like they have to do something um, drastic, and and they did. And I, I'm, I'm again, I couldn't be more proud of the Bucks because that really has to be spoken. Because I know. I'll be honest, I kind of felt a way about the Magic um, because, you know, I was, I know, obviously, uh, for my regular employer, I was obviously working <laughs> while this was happening. But I also, while I was working, I was glued in to this situation because this was gripping television. Like, you I, like you didn't know what was going on, what was going to happen. It's rare. Um, even in sports where it's just a live event and you say anything can happen. This really felt like an anything can happen thing, and you felt like you couldn't turn away if you had the time to pay attention. And initially, 
the reporting coming out was like, oh, nah, the Magic were in on it. Even though that made no sense. Because it was like, why would the Magic take the floor if they knew the Bucks weren't going to come out? Like, that, that, like, it didn't add up. And then, you know, it, when you fast forward to Thursday night, or, or Wednesday night, I'm sorry, and you start to see, hear the conversation about, you know, some of the teams like, hey, Bucks, how come you didn't tell us you were doing this? It's like, okay, well, why would the Magic fronting to Rebecca Harlow and Stephanie Reddy saying, oh, yeah, no, nah, we, we knew they were going to do that. And we, like, it was like, it was just, and then it makes that, like, DeVoe statement just look crazy, you know? Um, talking about your stand for justice. And it's like, you guys had nothing nothing to do with this. Uh, I'm glad you guys didn't take the forfeit. I'm glad that you guys supported the Bucks and that you guys stepped, walked off the floor as well. I'm glad that all happened. Um, but, like, I kind of felt a way about, like, even the Magic's place in this. Not to say that they should have known that the Bucks were going to do that. I'm just saying, like, if you knew, if that was the case, that no way should have been capping, saying that, oh, yeah, no, nah, we went on it. Like, that was... That was extremely corny. I think that I, I'm not going to spend any more time really slamming them because this should be more about uh, speaking on the positive message that's being across. But I just thought that had to be mentioned because I thought that that was that was that was kind of unfortunate. Yeah, I mean the Orlando Magic. Um, it's tough. Like I can't blame like I can't blame the Orlando Magic as a whole. Uh, because I don't, I like, I don't know who was talking to who or who knew what. Um, I think, I think the Magic knew that there was a chance that that game could be boycotted. I, um, I don't think they knew for a fact. I think that they probably had talks with some of the people on the Bucks, or maybe just, you know, loosely NBA players talk about, yo, man, I don't know if these guys are gonna play. And I think my issue is more so that the Bucks didn't tell the Magic. Um, you are one of those people who think they should have told them. Yeah, yeah, I think, I, I mean, it's not a big deal, but, it, it, you know, I kind of feel like, why not? I mean, I... Your, your, I, I, your boy Jalen Brown disagrees. Your boy Jalen Brown. Yeah, I, yeah, Jalen Brown, you know, you know, told, you know, apparently said that, you know, he felt they didn't owe anybody anything. Or, like, I I get it to that, to some extent, but, you know, I think the NBA, like, one of the things that's been strong about what they've tried to represent is this message of unity. So it's kind of tough when then you have like, you know, a team just kind of like, yeah, nah, we're not going to play. It was good. I mean, it was a good show of unity from that franchise, but um, I mean, it didn't make the magic look great. You know, it's not here's, like, here's why maybe yeah. what you're talking about, but you know, if I'm someone on the magic, I'm like, well, why don't you just, we would have, we would have gladly not played if you told us that was your plan. So I, I here's why I, I understand everything you're saying, and I agree almost with everything you're saying. Um, and my issue isn't, let me be clear, my, my specific issue with the Magic is trying to spin it as if you were a part of it. That's my okay. only issue. I, that, you being that, you getting caught lacking is not the issue, because who would have known guys weren't going to show up? Like, I mean, you, I, again, I think you're right. Like, they probably had some idea, but, like, you don't know for sure. It's like, you got to show them the court. So so that's, I don't have a problem with Here's why, though, I... I kind of respect the Bucks more for actually not telling anyone because I feel like as we saw one, as we saw with, and I think this may be a good segue eventually into the next conversation um, about like kind of the conversation about whether they should be there or they should have went there in the first place. But as we saw with the um, situation with Kyrie and Avery Bradley and Dwight Howard and them leading the, the group of players that, wanted to never go to the bubble once a lot of parties start getting involved 
then you know messages get skewed messages get perverted messages get um purposely uh uh, uh you know falsified and, and, and lied about and and maybe you could be convinced and talked out of doing something you know what i'm saying like i you could argue that if they tell the magic and the magic tells someone else and the league starts getting no and the league tries to come in and do something about it well now the pressure mounts even greater into the, the act you're doing by just making the action and kind of not telling anybody i think one it, it, it you can't really be stopped once it's done like like the wheel the, the opportunities for the wheels in motion to be stopped or at that point are it's over once you don't get on the court and it's tip off I mean, there's nothing you can right. do about it. If you start telling people hours before, hey, we ain't going to do this, well, you know. And it's not to say that they could have made that move and people would have tried to stop them or tried to convince them to play whatever, and they still couldn't have resisted them. I'm just saying it would have been a lot more challenging and there could have been a lot more um, uh, bad or, actors yeah. trying to trying to, trying to to muddle the message. I also feel like maybe this is just me. I think there is a sense of strength in, like, being like, yeah, no, we're not showing up on the court, and we understand that technically could mean a forfeit. Like, I know that's very, that may seem very small in like the grand scheme of things, but it actually meant a lot to me. It was just like, wow, like they they just they didn't show up in the court. The Magic were ready to play, and like technically, like this game could end in a forfeit. And I was kind of like, are they giving the Magic a forfeit here? Like that's, and, and then the Magic did the right thing by not, of course, not accepting it. But, like, even that, like, knowing that that could happen, and this is the NBA playoffs, like, that also sent a strong message to me, too. Just, like, these guys, the win-loss thing doesn't even matter right now. Like, when we talk to the Magic and you kind of make it, you know, oh, yeah, we both going to step off the court and we're going to make a, a, sign, a thing of, like, you know, unity. It's great. It would have been a great message. It wouldn't have really diluted anything per se, but I think it does add a little bit something where it's just like, nah, we were willing, willing to like lose this game. Like that, that tells me right. something. So that's why I kind of really appreciate they didn't tell anybody. Um, but what do you think about this notion that this kind of validates that movement we saw that was led by Kyrie Irving to not go to the bubble? Because I think to me, Here's the first thing I think that needs to be said. There were a lot of really, really um, slanderous, personal, and biased commentary on this issue when, from major NBA media members when this whole conversation was being had. And... I'm still I'm I'm one of the people that I am still waiting for some of these folks to come out and say, hey, you know what? Maybe Kyrie had a point. And I'm not usually one to kind of like count, you know, count the cold takes and count the whatever it is, what it is. People are going to have opinions. But I think the reason why it sat so poorly with me and I spoke about it on this podcast was because here we're talking about, again, the freedom and liberation of a people that have been oppressed. And we had people making taking personal slanderous shots and purposely um, trying to distort the message and distort um, and, and like and, and, and weaponize Kyrie's own past to 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 destroy a movement 
that was only for the betterment of black people in their minds. Whether you agree or disagree is another thing. I don't care if you disagree with Kyrie Irving. It was the slanderous attacks and, and, and the smear campaign that was, that was completely and utterly undeniable that we saw major NBA media members participate in. And when we know that these major media members, some of them work at companies that have massive deals with the actual NBA, it was a, a, a sick feeling to see that happen. And I, 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 I look at the commentary I've seen these last two days with a, a very, very, very raised eye. When I see these people saying good on the NBA, good on these guys for taking a stand, it's like when Kyrie and these other uh, gentlemen wanted to say, hey, we need to keep the pressure going and we need to keep the focus on this issue. And you guys said, I'm not even going to repeat the terrible things you said about him. And Kendall, you know, I am a Knicks fan. I do not have much love for Kyrie Irving other than I think that he's a, a star point guard. And a great offensive town. Otherwise, not really much love for him beyond that. So it's not, you know, me. I have no reason to, you know, quote unquote, cape for Kyrie. I, I And I told you on this podcast, and I still don't know if he should have been the messenger. I, I still feel that way. But it was the slanderous attacks and the stuff that happened that was ridiculous. And I think those people deserve, uh, owe him an apology. And owe a lot of the guys in that movement an apology. Because... Now we see exactly why people were concerned about going to the bubble. Because what difference was it going to make in terms of stopping police violence? And look, there were actual people, you know, Austin Rivers, who I thought had a very, you know, eloquent um, message about why he thought playing made sense. And even though I disagreed, I thought it was very well said and I respected a great deal where he was coming from. But you had folks saying, well, actually, this actually may help because certain guys might not be in the streets as much and blah, 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 blah. And as we see, well, that didn't work happen in this in this instance. And what do you think about that conversation? And do you feel like the right decision was made to go to the bubble? Because I also see the flip side where you can say these guys being in the bubble and now having making the decision to sit out while at the bubble creates even more headlines about this issue. So I see it both ways. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I don't. I mean, it doesn't seem like they're gonna cancel uh, or shut down the season. Um, and I don't, I don't think they should. Um, I think, uh, I think in this instance, I think the Milwaukee Bucks and the NBA, uh, I think they they made the right move. Um, I think they made the right move in uh, deciding. You know, I think the Milwaukee Bucks made a very powerful move in deciding to boycott that game. And I think it has caused a conversation um, and really, really added another layer of um, another layer of conversation to this uh, James uh, Jacob Blake uh, incident. And look, if I'm if if we're going back to the. Kyrie conversation. I mean, I think that that was my stance on that hasn't changed much. Um, in terms of, I still I still see the 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 where the positives 
could lie in these guys not playing and these guys being outside of the bubble. I think there are some. Um, but I think that it's still a, a it's still a, a way you still have to weigh the the risk reward the you know the cause and effect the you know the 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 balance sheet of positives and negatives and I think well I'm not saying that the positive and I guess in theory any little positive that you can cause in this issue is is great um, but I guess the question would be can you replicate or can you replicate that that the those some of those causes some of those or some of those positives rather uh while being in the bubble and on the flip side again we have to look at the ramifications of not being in the bubble and i think a lot of them obviously are financial and while some people may, you know, roll their eyes and say, "Look, financial ramifications. Who cares? Like, you know, you guys are you guys are millionaires, and we're talking about people's lives on the line." And that's that's a fair that's a fair statement to make. But I think that that is not looking at the full picture. You know, I think if you look at any NBA any individual NBA player could sit out if they wanted to. Um, I think many of them probably should. Because a lot of these guys, it seems like their head's not completely in it. And I wouldn't want these guys' heads to not be in it. Obviously, look, I'm a Celtics fan. Obviously, if the Celtics were in a playoff race, I would love to see Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum out there. If they didn't want to be there, they don't have to. You know, and I, I, I know I can't. I obviously, I know the Celtics fan base. Some of those guys would be destroyed. But, um, but it's the truth. Like, these guys can do whatever they want. It's their choice. Um... But I, I don't know. I look at, again, the financial ramifications. Uh, if any individual player wants to leave, they can. But they have to understand that as a group, when you make that decision, yes, someone like Kyrie, who, you know, reportedly was talking about, you know, only only 10 of us make real money anyway. That is, that's fine. You know, like Kyrie, if he feels like he doesn't need the money, he can sit out and he doesn't need to collect game checks. I totally understand that because he's probably very financially secure. There are there are other guys in the league that probably aren't, um, that are living paycheck to paycheck, and you know may not be willing to risk their own their own personal livelihood. You know, that's that that's asking something of guys that you know it's tough. And then beyond that. Now you're not talking about just yourself, but then you're talking about, again, other players and their families. And then you go even deeper, and then you look at, all right, if you don't play, you're losing those game checks. Then we're going to have a lockout possibly next season, either a lockout or a massive, massive loss in player salary starting next season. And if that happens, let's assume there's a lockout, which probably would happen. Now you've got those same guys that are living paycheck to paycheck, uh, now not getting anything at the start of the season. Uh, you've got rookies coming into the league that now are stranded, left stranded, because they entered the draft thinking that there'd be an NBA season, and then um, the season got canceled. Um, but you understand, Kendall. Beyond that, well, beyond that, then then you have to throw in, you go even look even deeper into the money, and then you look at team employees obviously 
you know, these teams have employees that they need to, that also have lives and jobs and things of that nature and families. And now those people, a lot of those people are going to be out of jobs. Um, you know, people outside of the actual, t- the people that work for the NBA and the player association could potentially be out of jobs. People that work for, you know, media companies and other sport industry, uh, positions could be out of jobs and that that's that's a lot of that that's a lot you know and it's all for for what i would say is something that i think could still be impacted while playing basketball there's a lot of you know i understand that guys can't be in the streets protesting um also for what i would argue is a short period of time i know the moment is now but it's not like, to me, I think the proposal I would have or like the stance I would have is, look, we got to push the season back. We got to push next season back. Next season, if we got to push it back to March, we push it back to March. But you got to give us the time once this bubble thing is over to do our work. We can't be get going into next season a month after the bubble saying, oh, we got we to gotta start you know, OTAs, we got to start, you know, training camp, you know, a month after the bubble. That gives guys no time, and mm-hmm. there's all the talk of going into a second bubble for next season. That, like, that stuff is something where that's another conversation that needs to be had. But I think the idea of canceling the season, I think that it's counterintuitive, and that even goes beyond, like, the whole idea of you take the money out of the players' pockets, how much can they really put into it? That's a whole other conversation. But I just think the financial ramifications to this are too drastic for me to tell the guys to uh, collectively, as a group, boycott the season. I think that that – hey, look, individually, if guys want to make choices for their own selves, I, no one has looked at Avery Bradley and said he's a chump. No one's looked at Wilson Chandler and said he's a chump or any other player in the league that decided to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think any player that decided to do that should do it. But I think that – Guys that want to play and need the money should have that option. I know for one thing, Tyler Johnson and J.R. Smith are very happy that those guys, they will never call those guys chumps for, for yes for for not going Ball to the buffer. Deion Waiters. Yeah, those guys are like y'all are heroes. Thank you. <laughs> the, you know the, the heroes we we don't deserve, but the ones we need. Um, I had to put in some joke there. Obviously, those guys getting a chance to play in the bubble because uh, of those opt outs. Um, I hear all that, Kendall. I just think that, again, this is why, like, I think that, you know, we've had good dialogues on this. Um, you know, me and Kendall don't, I clearly don't clearly align on this completely. But I think that none of these, when you're in the fight for something so systemic or uh, something that's, that is so systemic and, and you're fighting something that's such a long journey fight, there is no right or wrong answer per se. What I would counter what Kendall said was, is while all that may be true, at a certain point, when, at a certain point, when do black athletes leverage black entertainment in any way? Like, I don't, like, I think that, you know, it's funny because, you know, one of the things I heard from Doc Rivers, I heard from, shout out to Compton Dom, Dominic, Dominic Smith of the Mets. They both said the same thing and they both were crying saying it. And it's heartbreaking when you hear it. But it's just like, yo, why don't you people love us? Why don't you care about us? 
I disagree. I think that that's not necessarily true. I think that there's an asterisk to that statement. They care and love black people a great deal. It's in every aspect of our American culture. It's in every professional sport that we follow. Even the ones that aren't, that don't have a lot of black people. The few that are in there are megastars. They they love black culture and black talent. It's 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 deeper than that. It's not it's not that simplistic, that statement. So so if I'm gonna try to do my best to say, okay, well, how do I what okay, so what do they love about us? Okay, well, they love our entertainment for sure. Well, if that's I mean, would you agree that that's probably one of the, one of, if not the biggest bargaining chip that black folks as a whole have is entertainment? So, so yeah, right. So at what point, while all of what you said is true, when you're playing poker, I never played poker, so this may be a terrible analogy, but I'm going to use it anyway. When you're playing poker, like, don't you have to at some point make your opponent think that you're willing to risk it all and, and, and play your biggest chip in order to win this hand? Like, isn't that at some point, like, if you never... If you never, because of your own fear of your own financial situation, um, you know, I totally understand the, you know, while a lot of those workers currently aren't working because the NBA is in a bubble, I do understand a lot of the stuff with the employees that work in these arenas and work for the teams. I, I get all that. I'm not minimizing those people at all. But again, we're talking about uh, centuries of this kind of police violence at this point now. At what point, when you say, okay, well, what do we have as black people besides our vote? And that's probably our biggest, that's our biggest chip, obviously. Okay, besides that, we're, we're trying to, to work with that. And there's issues with vote expression. There's issues that come with that. But we're working on that aspect. What's our second chip? Our second chip is clearly black culture and black entertainment. Because it's everywhere. And if you're just deciding that because... Black, and, you know, these athletes, I'm not judging them for why I say this, so let me be clear. But if you're one of those people and you're saying, but my house, my car, uh, the life I live, I can't sacrifice that or put that in jeopardy in any way. Um, and, and, and let me be clear, it's not all of that, too. Because when I say that, that sounds harsh. Because also it's, you know, some guy, maybe their mom has some terrible disease. And unfortunately, we don't have universal health care. And that guy's you know, fifteen million dollar salary is helping pay for her medical bills. There's a lot of different things. Well, I'm saying it's not a it's a Wait, it's, it's a great million. it's a great yeah, it could be a one million contract. I totally get what you're saying. I, I I believe me, I get it. Um but again, if we're talking about this being as desperate a situation as it is, at what point do you say we gotta put this chip on the table and see what they do? Cause we cause cause Kendall, we never have. We've um, now, the, the, it, and then I said the vote. The second I say black culture entertainment is third because the second is a black dollar, which that has effectively made change as we've seen with Montgomery bus bus boycott and things like that. But so a top three aspect of black our black leverage is our culture and our entertainment, and we never put it on the table. We've seen how successful voting and influence and our dollar has influenced change. 
if you never if you never leverage that Kendall, I I just feel like at a certain point, like if the opponent doesn't have that fear that like that could be taken away, what's their motivation to ever to ever bend? And this is why I this think- was so, this thing was so interesting to me because it's like. Like, what is the Milwaukee Attorney General going to do if the Bucks be like, "Yo, we ain't, we're not taking the floor until Homeboy is arrested"? What What's he going to do? Is he the Bucks in the middle of a championship run? Is he really going to, or she? I don't know who the person is. Are they really not going to do anything? Are they really going to sit there and be like, "Oh, sorry, buddy"? We know how much that team means to the city and the state. I I can't imagine that would go over well. I'm just yeah, saying I mean, that that's a, that's something that I think needs to be talked I, about because because that's the problem is that like we have these people who 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 love black entertainment but don't care about black lives and and it's all right well we're gonna make you care about black lives at a certain point that's I think should be the should be the that that would to me would be the energy behind deciding you know what season canceled sorry guys we wanted to play for you guys but you know what you guys showed no interest and no. Um, empathy for what we're going through as a people, so you don't get to enjoy us now. Take our ball and go home. It's uh, it's tough. I mean, I think that, look, I, I, I tend to agree, and I think that what you're eloquating is, is what we saw. We saw kind of the threat. We saw the pressure being applied, and I, I have no no issue with that. I just think, I'm just saying if we're being realistic, and if I was in that meeting with the NBA players behind closed doors, we could do whatever you want <laughs> in, in the public eye. But behind closed doors, I, I can't imagine, although there seemed to be a sentiment of seriously sitting out, I don't think that that would have been a good idea. And it's, to me, I think that we're in a situation now where, like, look, we're, we're already in the middle of a pandemic. Everything that you can possibly be doing, not everything, but... 75%, 60%, even 50% of what you can do is, it has to be done virtually anyway. I think if you can, NBA players utilize the platform that you've been given within the bubble in other ways beyond even during games. If practices have to be cut, if games have to be spread out to give guys more time to do other things besides play basketball the whole time, like, do what you have to do, but um, I just, but Ken though, I just feel like I get all that, but it just feels like to me these guys are doing a lot. They I mean LeBron, you don't think CNN would give LeBron a a, a spot on uh, you know on their on their channel on Don Lemon if he wanted it? You don't think that that Chris Paul could get a spot on Rachel Maddow if he wanted it? There are ways in which these guys can can get their names and faces out. And, yes, I think marching would be part of it. But, again, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I wouldn't necessarily... I would argue, to me, it's not even about the marching. It's I, I See, here's the thing, Kendall. I think that in some ways... I'm not saying that what by not playing, you're not taking action. But I think that you're underestimating what doing nothing actually can send a message about. Like, I think you're saying, oh, but you guys, if we give you more time, maybe you could do more. I'm like these guys are doing a lot already. They've been doing a lot. They just how many of those guys we saw during that George George George, George Floyd protest were I mean Jalen Brown. I mean he's like a like he's like NBA player and then all in his off time he's like 
organizer. He's an activist. Like, that's that's his second job. Like, and it's not to minimize the actions that they're doing. They are. They are they're doing great work, and they're doing unbelievable work. What the stuff LeBron's doing with the getting people out to vote, shout out to him for, you know, if he was one of those team, the, you know, the Lakers as a team voted not to, they, they did not want to continue. And, you know, a lot of the jokes have been like, you know, oh, LeBron's going to be the guy that's going to want to play no matter what. If he really did uh, back his guys or he even spearheaded that effort to feel like they didn't want to play anymore with all he has on the line for his legacy, then you cannot respect him more um, for, for voicing that kind of opinion. But they're doing a lot, Kendall. At a certain point, sometimes it's not about what you do outside of basketball. Sometimes it's the basketball has to be taken out of the equation for many people to understand and get what's going on. That's, I think, the problem that at hand. That's what I think we're trying to say. I think you're trying to say, well, if they get more time and we adjusted things, they could do more. It's like, it's, it's. I, I just, I think it's, I think it's a little bit like, I'm, I don't, you're not naive, but I just think it's kind of like a naive thought that like, oh, but if they just have more time, the more people can hear their message, then like, things will be better. And it's just like, I mean, did you hear? Did you hear the Kenosha? Look, Sheriff, do I think? I mean, the guy who's who's talking about who's rationalizing seventeen-year-old right. white supremacists lighting up protesters by saying that you guys weren't out in the streets. Like, like that guy is not like Jalen Brown doing more telethons is not stopping that police sheriff from running his police sheriff, police department which, the way he is. Like, which is why I feel like this. I, I mean, I tend to agree with that. Um, look, I think again, I think the 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 buck stops at legislation and it stops at uh reform within these communities uh in terms of policing and other and other uh you know different laws and things of that nature but i i i don't know 100 i see the correlation you're trying to make between player like there being no nba and there being added pressure and there, then there being no NBA because of police brutality, then adds pressure on communities to uh, get rid of police brutality. I, I see that correlation, but I don't know if I don't know if that if that's going to be. I, I don't. The logic is there, but I just I'm not. I don't know if I trust that that would happen. And if it would, I don't know if it would happen anytime soon. So that's why I feel like it. It. it it's again. But Kendall, we're seeing people have to people talk about. Right. Look, if if people are willing to, it's what people are willing to sacrifice. What people are willing to sacrifice for what is there for what there is to gain. Do I think that LeBron James and every single one of these NBA players would sacrifice what they've got or sacrifice the season to to save x amount of people individually sure but i but that that the question has to become how many people are you saving and when is that and and that's that's the question you know it's too i think it's 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 too hard to quantify and once you have that murkiness of now you're dealing in 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 stuff that but it's not but kendall remember with police violence and racism, it's not just about who dies. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's a way of life. 
you know, another saying that we've heard throughout this whole process has been being black is exhausting. And we've heard LeBron talk about what he had to do when, as a kid, when he saw police rolling down his blocks in Akron. How he, he him and the kids in the neighborhood would hide behind buildings. Not that they did anything wrong, but to just just to, to ensure that there were no police interactions. Um, you know, we've heard so many of these stories that you and I could talk about of of you know parents having to tell kids what to do when you're approached by a police officer, you stop by a police officer if you're driving. This conversation we have with our father is a father is a conversation that every black father has probably in this whole country, or at least a lot of them do. It's it's when you say saving and who who you're helping, it's like it, I, I think that's kind of like too like I, I just think that kind of like loses the point. Like it's not. Yes, you, you you could you could save lives and like and beyond saving lives, remember it's not just people all dying. Some people are like breaking their necks and breaking their wrists or being beat up. Like it's not again, it's not all just life and death. Right. But but to me also when it talks about racism, it's the 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 issue is so systemic and the police have such a large part of it that it goes even well beyond just these police interactions. It's like what that does to a community and what that does to a, a group of people to live with this truth of what being black means in America when the police don't treat you the same and the trauma that comes with that the anxiety that comes with that it's more it's way more than just who did I save and who am I hurting by not playing it's just it's way deeper than that Kendall I think the issue honestly is that is at the top and I don't think that the way the country has been politicized like I don't think if NBA players decided to to boycott the season, that they wouldn't be the ones to blame. Like at like as bad as it as bad as that sounds, as crazy as that sounds, you don't think that there would be a spin? There already is a spin, but you don't think that if the season got canceled because of that, people wouldn't be able to justify it as I don't have the season not because of the Wisconsin AG. I I don't have the season because Giannis and Chris Middleton didn't want to play. Because George Hill and Sterling Brown didn't want to play. As nuts as that sounds, as we see in this country, there's a large percentage, it's not majority, but there's a large percentage of the population that can't put two and two together on a lot of things. And that's, that hap- a lot of things that have happened or do happen in our country. They can't put two and two together. They listen to misinformation and all these other things. So... I'm not as convinced that it would be a snap of the wrist and things would be that things would would be great. And so because of that, if you can't give me a concrete a con, a concrete way in which things are going to be changed by me giving up a lot for not just myself but a lot of people I don't know. Then but Kendall, that is but but that but I think that thought process suggests that you haven't done the smaller measures. If you do the smaller measures and they don't work, they don't create any true change. The notion that, well, I just can't do the larger measures, cut measures because they're just too drastic and I may get hurt more by doing it. Well, then then you're making a calculated decision. I'm not saying you don't care about racism. Please, I've been making a decision that that is too great a price. And to me, it sounds like with these guys that the price is invaluable. And I would argue it is. Racism and police brutality, come on. Like the price of it's getting of eradicating that is is priceless. So so I think the these guys are willing to put. Guys would 
I don't think these guys would be playing. If it was if if they thought that what they were doing that that if they thought that by canceling the rest of the season that they could end racism in the next five years or even strongly, strongly mitigate it, I don't think they'd be playing. But I think they just wanted to put apply enough pressure to hopefully have a similar impact while still being able to keep while still being able to to, to not lose billions of dollars in revenue. You know, it's it's a tough ask. You know, I I don't really I, I don't envy anyone that's in that position. Now, are there have there been people in the past that have given up individual wealth for the for the the greater good of humanity? Absolutely. Maya Moore. She's been, been doing it. There are plenty of figures in our society in history, if you look back in time, that have made those decisions. But and those individual people should be lauded. And I think that there are individuals in the NBA that have those decisions that they can make. But I just, yeah, I just feel like. But tough for me to, but I can't, I'm not forcing everyone to be like, to, to I, it's, it's tough to force everyone to be put in that position when everyone's got different situations. Well, look, I mean, again, no one should be forced to do any, no one should be forced to do anything. I don't think anyone who suggests we shouldn't play is forcing it. That's why they're playing. They're playing guys who didn't think they should play that are out there playing right now. I just feel like, Kendall, at a certain point, I think that the whole idea behind not playing and protesting and sitting out extended periods of time or until justice is had is putting up, like, when we think about this term, Black Lives Matter, like, in the end, it's really about black worth. And, and, Every life should matter, of course, but also the idea that our lives are are worthless the way they get senselessly thrown away because of nonsense. You know, whether it's police or whether it's you know a George Zimmerman or any just you know anything, or whether it's you know um, you know gang life or whatever. It's 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 senseless killings and, and and these lives that are so precious feel worthless when you see. These kind of um, this kind of disregard for black bodies. If again, if you're not going to leverage black worth in a more macro level that affects everyone, I just think your movement is always going to be limited. Like the NBA can't, like you know, the guys. I, I hope they're all voting, but they're still a small block compared to the rest of the world. They have a lot of money, but not nearly as much money as the owners and many of them who would be probably less inclined to invest in black communities and invest in black issues because either it opposes their views or their interests or just because they're just not like they might not even be against it or be racist or anything. They just might not be really like their antennas might not be in tune to like those issues or whatever. It's not. I feel yeah, exactly. You know, it happens that, you know, if you're a rich white dude or rich whatever, like you just might not be as in tune into, into these complications. Um, so when we talk about, again, when I talk about black vote and black dollar, those being our, as a people, our most powerful weapons. Well, if it was for these players, their weapon, if those weapons are neutralized because of various things. Or, or at the very least, their money isn't neutralized, per se, but it's just it only go so far. At what point is your value to society going to be something you leverage? And 
if you're never going to leverage it, I just feel like the chance of you really turning heads and making change. And I think that sometimes, you know, we can we talk about ending racism like and like or what the chances are things could change if you did do that. And what would the spin be? I'll tell you what. Kentucky uh, right now, they do have a Democratic governor, but they have a, uh, a conservative attorney general, Daniel Cameron. This dude has been seen taking engagement photos. Dude's been um, being getting married. Dude's been vacationing. Dude's giving speeches at the Republican National Convention. Doing everything except, it seems like, doing making any action towards whether or not he's going to charge the officers who barged into her home, Brianna Taylor, and shot her up for no reason at all. We've seen them everywhere. We don't have a Kentucky NBA team. Or we, at least not an official one, which is where I'm going. Kendall, we do a podcast, The Uncommitted, um, college basketball recruiting. What would you say of the fan bases that listen to us is most engaged in our podcast? Big Blue Nation. Big Blue Nation, Kentucky Wildcats. Would you also consider that Big Blue Nation may be the most engaged fans of, in all of college basketball, regardless of even just our podcast? 200%. It's up there in college sports in general. Right, exactly. Top, I agree with that. Three. What would happen if this was all happening, if this whole situation was happening during college basketball season? And Daniel Cameron... Is out jet skiing. He's out doing speeches. He's out golfing, doing all, all anything besides putting the the officers who murdered Breonna Taylor in prison, or at least charging them and indicting them. How do you think that will play if this was college basketball season and Big Blue Nation, uh, you know, or rather, you know, the Wildcats, John Calipari? His players, in the midst of a, of, of a potential Final Four run, decided, eh, we ain't playing. And eh, we, we want to see movement here. Uh, March Madness is going to have to wait this year. Sorry, we're we just not going to take the floor until we see action. Even the folks that you think wouldn't necessarily be in line or agree with the actions of Arresting the officers that killed Breonna Taylor. How do you think that would play in Kentucky? And who do you think the pressure would really be on if that kind of move was made and the, the team that is revered and treated as royalty in the state decided they weren't going to play because a political bureaucrat fails to do his job? Who do you think's in the heat for that? I guarantee you it's not going to be John Calipari. I guarantee you. Yeah, it's so that's it's what I mean a, when I talk about leveraging it, 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 black it, it, entertainment, black worth, black culture to society. Because there's a lot of white folks, a lot of conservative folks who live and die big blue basketball, and the idea that an office bureaucrat is the reason by why they can't watch big blue. Compete for a Final Four in a national championship. 
Of course, they're going to get angry at Kyle Perry, but guess what? They're also going to be like, this needs to be resolved tomorrow. And there's going to be enough pressure where homeboy is going to realize, I can't deal with the amount. It might not, it don't got to be all of them. It doesn't got to be every single Kentucky fan. But I guarantee you, there'll be enough of them barging down his, his, his office saying, you're going to do what you need to do so that we can see our guys make a run at this national championship. And that's the kind of pressure I'm talking about. If we never put that on the table, we'll never know. It's like, I think that it's like a, it's like a catch-22 when you say, oh, but what, what if it doesn't work? It's like, we're never going to know if we never try it. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, the Kentucky situation is, is I think the closest comparison is obviously what we saw with Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy. Um, and... I don't know what to make of the Mike Gundy situation. There's a lot of layers to that one where I'm like, I don't know. I still don't know what happened with that. Um, they're produ- <laughs> it's funny. They actually have a uh, documentary, uh, an all-access documentary following Oklahoma State this offseason. And they talk about, apparently they talk about the Mike Gundy situation with the OAN shirt. So <laughs> part of me is like, I don't know if I want to watch it and you give them like clicks, but it does seem interesting. ESPN Plus. But um yeah, that that Kentucky analogy does remind me of the Mike Gundy situation, but I guess I don't know. I I think you have more faith in in people's like love of sports versus politics. I just feel like I think in two thousand and five, I think you would have been. I think I think you would have been right. I think this would have been nipped in the bud really quickly. But I feel like in I don't know twenty twenty. I think you, just, I, I totally disagree. Very fifty percent, more I, than fifty percent of Americans don't vote. People don't I, care about Daniel Cameron. They don't. You say that, but Kendall, they don't. They don't care. Like yo, like and like, I, it's something that I even got to fight with. I know I work in television news, and sometimes I feel like I even fight with the people I work with because look, we're a news station, and you're someone. You're very in, tapped in, just like you're tapped in sports, you're also very tapped into politics and news because you care about the world and the country and you, you're interested in it. So you know a damn camera, you know these folks. But <clears throat> the average dude doesn't know, or person, not dude, woman, I say dude just in general, it's not a you know, gender thing. Um, they don't know any of these people. They don't know anybody. They don't know anything that's going on. Right, it's why when that, you see these but, polls, if you see some polls when it's just like, you know, you know, like they don't know that like the ACA is Obamacare, like you know, like things like that where it's like, right, those, people are so are they're so not plugged in, Kendall. Like yes, they know the president, but even again, half the people didn't care enough to vote. So even that aspect, people aren't that tapped in. But I guess guess what? Way more people in Kentucky are tapped into. Kentucky basketball than Daniel but Cameron. I think, One thousand percent. I think. I mean, you're you're right about that. But I think that it's when that happens again. When Kentucky basketball gets affected, it becomes way less of an intricate political issue and becomes a national story, obviously. But also in Kentucky, for on, on a Kentucky local level, it becomes the biggest story in the state in a decade. Probably since they won a national, since they won a national championship, so everyone's gonna have an opinion, and again, it's just it's just the way this country is now. I mean, how many people? What are the what are the numbers on the amount of people in the state of Kentucky that watch Fox News, 
What are the amount of people in the state of Kentucky that voted for Donald Trump? I mean, there's just a lot of numbers. Kendall, that pull up. nobody, no, nobody no, votes. It may, be, it may not even be. I mean, Mitch McConnell. Like, it may not Kendall, even be. No, it, it may not be the the overall like. It may not even come from like the, a person's deep down overall opinion. It may be that they have channels in which they are slanted, and uh, how they get their information. Whether it be through social media, whether it be through television, whether it be through uh, politicians that they voted for or just listen to in general, it's. Ken, but Kendall, and, you know, again, you, you, but Kendall, you're coming from the mindset that you need ev- again, like you need everybody. All you need is enough crazed Kentucky fans to pull up on Daniel Cameron's office or make enough phone calls to say we're not having this anymore. This is over. Do the right thing so I can watch Kentucky basketball. You, like, like you, you, I think you're you're underestimating the amount of pressure that could be instilled by folks who wouldn't normally be engaged becoming engaged. To me, like this reminds me of the on some level it reminds me of the the college football players from you know a month ago that were talking about not playing because of coronavirus concerns and. Uh, protocols, how they felt that it was, um, how they felt that they were weak, and they 100% were weak. Like the 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 the, the protocol, they probably I don't know what changed necessarily, but you know I think what we saw was probably was a uh, a minority of, of of individuals that were that were speaking stuff that was I think mostly true, but the problem was that they were putting something on the line that I think most of the players in college football wouldn't be willing to put on the line, which is their season. And that is what I think, I think overall, I think that's what the situation we have in the NBA is, is that they have, we have a, a, a smaller group of players that are willing to put everything on the line for this. And what they're putting their, what they're, what they're putting on the line is something I think 100% of the players around the league support. I won't say 100% because I don't know that, but 95, 98% support. The problem is that I don't think it's 98% of them are willing to put down what the ones that are in the minority are willing to put down. And that's the issue. So I, as we've seen with the college football situation, with the NBA situation, when you start getting into guys' personal well-being – not necessarily personal well-being in terms of health, but personal well-being in terms of financial well-being and financial, you know, outlook. It's a, it becomes tougher to tell guys or to, you know, to admonish guys for not taking that stance. You know, I, 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 I to be clear, I, I'm not, I'm not going to admonish. I don't admonish anyone. Right. Yeah. Not you know, taking that stance. I'm just like, saying. I here's applaud, I, and I applaud anyone that does take that stance, mm-hmm. but I just. Personally, I don't. I don't know if it would be the 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 smartest move for everybody. I think there are some guys where it's like, doesn't matter. LeBron, I mean, legacy wise, obviously this would be important. But he's got all. He's made all the money he needs. The league can go without him. Obviously, the league right. would be better with. Him, but the league can run without him. He doesn't have to be there. I, yeah. Um, but I think that. But collectively, I don't think that that'd be a smart decision for every NBA player because it would affect uh, uh, the majority 
I, it's always tough when you have a minority that's affecting the majority. And, I mean, we saw it in the country in 2016. I mean, you say that, Kendall, but, like, I didn't want to go here, but I'm going to... And we should probably move on something before we get out of here real quick. Um, But I, I will say this. I know what you're saying, oh, financial well-being. Like, I don't... I never want to be that guy, but they are millionaires. Like, okay, yes, are there guys who live in paid effect? Yes, are there guys who are in a position where maybe they need certain things... Are they paying a lot of people or whatever? Yes, I understand that. But also, like, they, they, they also are best equipped to maybe make these sacrifices than anyone else. The people who go out there marching every day, you know, who aren't, who can't get regular jobs or whatever because they've dedicated their lives to this situ- to this fight, they also have a lot to lose too. And I just think that it can't always just be like everything to be like, well, what about money? What about money? Like at a certain point, it's like you guys have a lot of money, relatively speaking. I know some of you guys, the way you, you live your life, yes, 100%, there are guys living pay, paycheck to paycheck. I'm not even going to get into the idea of that that's their fault or anything. It's just how they live. You didn't expect that you have to stop playing basketball for any reason. But we got to, we can't, I can't let you keep saying that and not put that in that perspective. Because some people are going to listen to this and say that's that sounds crazy to be talking about guys financials being the primary reason why you're not going to take a stance when we're talking about the majority almost everybody you're mentioning who plays in the nba is a millionaire like a college football player like they no i'm not talking about college football i I totally get you on that i'm talking about i'm I'm sticking it to pro i'm just talking about pro college we totally agree but that's why the nba makes more sense because college you don't have that leverage the nba you do have the idea that again of course are there guys living in a situation where they need the checks yes but a lot of those guys are living comfortably. Majority of them right. are living comfortably. So this notion that, oh, well, you got it. What about the ch- game check? It's not that serious. It isn't. Because if it was, we would have had guys trying to rush back as soon as they would have let them open the gate, open the doors to the gyms and to the arenas. They weren't doing that because they wanted to make sure that their safety was number one. And they were questioning whether or not there would be any chance to, to speak out against racial injustice. So clearly... The money wasn't that bad to where they couldn't delay the, the situation and figure out what made sense. So, like, I just want to I think that needs to be said from my standpoint, because I just think that it's a listener who maybe is thinking about what I'm saying or hearing you. I think that that I, we cannot have this conversation about financial sacrifice and not mention that they're millionaires. And again, I'm not using that to weaponize them and shame them because there's a lot of racist people. And I'm going to say that racist people. Who are using the trope of, of black athletes being entitled millionaires to spew uh, dog whistle racism. And it's coming from the White House. And be, remember, be that direct. With that being said, when we're talking about making the sacrifices, that has to be part of the conversation. And that's why, that's, that's the only reason that I have to say when it comes to the sacrifice of doing this. But shout out to um, the NBA players, I think you know, I both can speak to just how amazing this has been and, and the dialogue that they've started. Um, shout out to the Major League Baseball players, too. I don't want to lose sight of them. Um, I think that what they've done has been awesome. Um, it's been another bad day for Rob Manfred, who can't seem to have, he only seems to have bad days. Um, <laughs> for And it's courtesy of a guy who normally has bad days in Brody Van Wagenen, but somehow is now a hero because by accident he was caught flaming. Rob Manfred for um, 
not understanding the situation, though. Now he's saying that it actually wasn't Manfred, it was Wolpon, which I guess is kind of worse, but because <laughs> now he's saying his boss's idea was stupid. But either way, um, shout out to Major League Baseball players for, for wanting to sit out and sitting out. And I know the Mets had a, they did do some kind of uh, demonstration today and then walked out the field with the Marlins and, and postponed the game. Um, shout out to all you guys. Shout out to the people in the Wubble, man, the women. Um, they've been holding it down for years, literally years. Like, um, I can't remember the first time when they really started to be out here with this, like, this fight for social justice. I can't remember when it began. I want to say maybe it was Garner, but one of these summers they were out here and they were just like, they decided that they were going to be a league that was going to stand for social change. And, um, they, they, they make me proud every time I see what they've done and seeing them, you know, raise the fist, kneel, postpone the game yesterday. was awesome. Um, so yeah, man, this was awesome. This has been amazing stuff to see, regardless of how you feel about where it's going to go and what impact it's going to be. I mean, what we saw on Wednesday was historic. It was something, I'm not going to say we're never going to see it again, because, uh, I think that it's more likely we actually will see more. I think we will see more drastic actions. I don't. I think that this is we've now crossed a bridge that is going to be very interesting moving forward. Because I think there's this notion that the, also the reason, the, also the incentive behind protesting and boycotting. You know, it's not really boycotting; it's striking is the correct term. Um, it all stems from the idea that also that you know these are the corporations that are tied to these leagues and the corporations and the owners that own the teams have such, they have way more influence than even the players in some aspects. And it's the idea that, that if you guys care so much about this league and earning this money, you also need to be in this fight. And that seems to be the whole kind of not fight, but the whole conversation that seemed to be stemmed around Thursday's uh, conversation with the owners and the players and Jordan trying to bridge that gap with the owners to understand why, they have way more responsibility to be way more out here fighting for the rights that these players say are being um, um, infringed upon. So it's going to be a great conversation. It's going to be uh, something to keep following, man. Real quickly, Kendall, just, you know, play is suspended. So, you know, for the people who listen to this podcast normally, and we're saying, where were y'all last week? Um, it's very hard to do a podcast when there's a, a NBA playoffs happening. So sometimes it can get a little tricky. Because you don't know when to really step in and talk. Because the storylines change every single day, literally. And then also we had you know a massive shooting schedule with the uh, with the DC fandom, so I kind of threw things off as well. But um, what's been your takeaways on the first round so far, real quickly? And what we may see in the second round? Um, yeah, I mean the first round has been interesting. Uh, uh I mean each series. The East has been not great. Yeah, what what did surprise what what did surprise you in the first round? You would say. Um. Well, I mean. Or look, I mean the Eastern Conference. Would you say? Or is it? Or has nothing surprised you? Is everything gone the way you thought it would? Yeah, of course, of course, nothing surprised <laughs> me. I'm a basketball fangu. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I, the 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 Eastern Conference has been interesting because obviously the Orlando Magic, outside of that one game where they played great, first of all, screw the Indiana Pacers for firing Nate McMillan. Yeah, that, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up. Playoffs, I almost forgot. They, they got swept, which not great, 
Um, obviously, he didn't have DeMontis Sabonis. The Heat didn't have really a healthy Jimmy Butler for most of the series. So it's not great. But, and obviously, look, they, they, he's gotten swept a lot at Indiana. So all those things need to be said. But we're talking about a guy that took a job. When he got the job, they had Paul George, Paul playoff P. A year later, playoff P after getting swept by LeBron, once out. And he gets dealt a roster that people thought, at the time, people forget because it was three years ago, people thought that they were going to be what the Atlanta Hawks were. Yeah. I mean, I think the Atlanta Hawks blew it up the same year the Pacers did. And people thought the Pacers were significantly worse in significantly worse shape than the Hawks were yeah. at the time. That's how bad people thought the Pacers were. And he took that team and made made them into a playoff team in his second season there with turned Victor Oladipo into an all-star, which yeah. if you want to give him credit for that, that's, I mean, I guess, you know, like Oladipo came in and was great from day one, but he also developed DeMontis Sabonis into an all-star. Yeah. He developed Malcolm Brogdon, turned Malcolm Brogdon, a guy who was a solid player in, in Milwaukee, and all of a sudden now is a borderline all-star guard. You, you've got T.J. Warren, who during his bubble stretch has looked like a superstar, yep. a guy that has been a, a role player his entire career. Um, the, only, the only knock I really can give Nate McMillan outside of the playoff record is Miles Turner is kind of stagnated. But when you look at the other guys that he's developed, I can't really look at Miles Turner and say, I, I'm, I look at Miles Turner and say, why have you stagnated? I don't look at Nate McMillan. So, yeah, and also, like, yeah, and, like, Miles Turner also isn't a bum. Like, he's, he's also a good player still. He's just making out the star. Right. They, they, they figured he'd be a superstar or an all-star right, right now. And he's he, he hasn't gotten any better, so it's not great. But I'm not firing anybody because Miles Turner <laughs> is what he is. He's, he's, he's a fine player. Um, so I think, look, I think if you're a team like – there are teams out there that fire their coaches, Brooklyn. Um the Pelicans, the the Sixers. I think all of those teams, I can see why they, they fired their coaches in part because while I think all those coach, all those teams fired good coaches, I think they all felt like we can get a better coach. We're going to get an upgrade, which is fine. But the Pacers have to be careful because the grass isn't always greener with a new coach. As Nick fans know. Um, <laughs> that was harsh. <laughs> you got to make me remember that. Come on, man. That's Nick for clicks right there, homie. I was gonna say I was gonna say Celtics fans too, but I was like, I mean, it's been a while since we've had a new coach. Kendall and Nick for Nick's for clicks guy. I see. The grass greener with Jim o, with with Doc Rivers as opposed to Jim O'Brien. Jim O'Brien. The grass was probably greener with Brad Stevens as opposed to Doc Rivers. So, I mean, I'm not gonna complain. But but there were, a lot of NBA fans know that. You know, the grass isn't always greener. So they got to be careful. I know they're talking about Mike D'Antoni. Seems like an interesting change of pace. I certainly like D'Antoni better in Indiana than I do in New Orleans. But um, but to me, it's like that seems like a lateral move. I actually think those teams, I mean, D'Antoni's not with New Orleans right now. Although there's talks about how that, that he could be a replacement there, which to me makes no sense because of the Alvin Gentry thing. But regardless, I actually think those teams should swap. I think McMillan should go to New Orleans and... I could see D'Antoni being a nice change of pace in Indiana, but to me, that was the most bizarre thing. You were talking about surprising. That was the most surprising thing I've seen from the NBA in the last two weeks. I don't know if you want to talk about Luka Doncic, um, but just, yeah, you know. Real quickly, real quickly on McMillan, that um, 
we can't talk about racism in this country and the NBA action that we've seen and not talk about the treatment of black coaches and black front office executives in the NBA. Because, and look, I, I'm, I've been one who I say, look, there are certain situations where black, white, it doesn't matter, this coach didn't get the job done and it's time to move on. That being said, we all understand black coaches typically don't get as much time, uh, seem to take the worst jobs and are, are, are much more quickly, quickly to be let go than white coaches in general. And this, to me, screamed uh, just just all of that. I mean... Yeah, the transition. Like, thanks yeah. for making it good. Now we're going to let someone else, you know, you know, win off of that. But the, even, that but the thought process behind the D'Antoni thing and with, with what's the name, McMillan, was, that's what's frustrating me because, as you said, there's really nothing you can look at from a merit standpoint on that Pacers team and how they've performed to suggest that McMillan didn't do a good job. There's zero. The only thing you could point to is 3-16 playoff record, but two of his all-stars were hurt in, like, three of the playoff series. Like, like how could you legitimately make that case when in every playoff series his guys are hurt and the one he had a full roster, he's LeBron 3 in Game 5 and a 45-point triple-double in Game 7 away from knocking LeBron out of the first round. And you talked about the development of Old Depot. You talked about the uh, uh, signing Brogdon and, and make, actually making that $100 million contract work. Um, DeMontis Zabonis becoming an all-star. And they're saying, well, it's a stylistic thing we want to change. What about Indiana's roster suggests you should be playing like Mike D'Antoni's teams? Right. They the have two seven-footers are- starting who are plotters. Not, uh, not, I mean, they're plotters in this, uh, this day and age. Not, you know, not the Eddie Curry era plotter. But in this day and age... Like, the Sabonis and T- Turner are like dinosaurs. And yes. you're saying, we're going to sign Mike D'Antoni? Like, unless you're talking about massive changes to the roster, and perhaps they are. They've got, they got a wing in T.J. Warren who is great and nice. He's a half-court player. Yeah, <laughs> and is a half-court player. You've got, they've got two guards in, Bro- in Brogdon and Oladipo who... Uh, and McConnell even off the bench are all kind of half-court players. Yes. Like I don't so I, none of them play anything like you would do see I, from Dan Tony. If so, I were running the team, I'm not Kevin Pritchard, but I would blow it up. Like if if you're gonna hire Mike. Right, Pritchard, and my thing is if that's what you're doing, that's fine. But I think that, that needed to be that needs to be illustrated if you're gonna make this thing and then point to the playoff record. Like right. that suggests oh well the coach is the reason why this talent isn't getting it done. It's like this talent is not that good. He's this talent is a joke and he's been able to to uplift it. And, and 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 these guys have improved so much under his coaching. He he even made he even got he even got Bogdanovich a big contract. Who now he's yes. playing for Utah because of how he played in Indiana. So I had I just had to say that real quickly about McMillan. I couldn't let that go because that was that was atrocious. I thought. Um, quickly on Doncic, the guy is unbelievable. I mean, I mean I don't know really what else to say other than that. I mean the kid is. Uh, He's one of the best players in the NBA. When we talk about where does he like stand, is he top five? I don't know. He's in near the top he's five, top, I would say. He's top ten. I mean, he's close to top. He's yeah, he's, top five. yeah, he's definitely I, definitely not, in the top ten. I'm not willing to put him in the top five yet. If they beat the Clippers, <laughs> it'd be tough not to put him in the top five. But he's just. I, he's I mean, he's such. I mean, they don't say this word enough with him. He's a dominant player. Like, yes. you, know, you know, someone might say, oh, a guy's good, and like, or even a guy's a great player. 
But sometimes even that can understate the, a guy's impact on the game. And to me, when you say the word dominant, that kind of that kind of crystallizes what the guy's impact on the game is. And I say Luca is a dominant player because of his ability to impact the game as a scorer who they cannot keep out of the paint. And it's crazy to me because you look at him and you're like, he's not moving that fast. He has a great handle, but he's not moving that fast. Why can't they stop him? But the guy's a tank. Again, he like he may not look that strong, but he's a he's so strong. And I think that he just muscles guys to the basket and then he's got great touch. So whether he's 10 feet out and he do floaters or he's near the basket or he can just get a good angle and he doesn't miss left or right hand. Um, I mean, the idea that he's doing all this with a below average three-point shot, at, or at least an, maybe an average three-point shot, like, it's going to be scary if he's able to figure out that three-point shot the way he, he, he shoots as much as he I mean, he starts shooting that at a better clip than, than what he is now. I mean, he's going to be unstoppable because, he, 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 again, scoring, he can drop 40 on any given night. He can grab 20 rebounds in a game. He can grab, he can throw 20 assists in a game. Like, he, his offensive impact, the only word you can use is dominant. He's a dominant player. It doesn't matter who's guarding him. doesn't matter what defense you play against him. I mean, the Clippers have as good on-the-ball perimeter defenders as any team in the league, and they have no chance against this guy. And I never would have expected he would have been tearing them up like this. I thought he'd have a good series, and I thought Dallas would make this interesting. I didn't think they had any chance to win. But if you would have told me that they would be 3-2 with Porzingis missing multiple games, potentially, and uh, and, and, and Doncic spraining his ankle in one of the games, like, kids kids a killer. And obviously, you know, clutch gene, and you saw the three-point shot that, that, that oh, saved yeah. the last I game. Mean, I mean, come on. He's, he's a special. This is going to be his league very soon. Yeah, I mean that's why when it, when people were talking about which NBA player gets the Mahomes contract, the ten year deal, I, it had to be Doncic. Like I, Giannis is the only other guy you could talk about, but Doncic is just much younger. I mean, he's twenty. His skill level is just unreal. His skill level is ridiculous. Um, I mean, look, the shot we've seen him hit that shot. EJ. I mean, we we've been following this guy since he was at Real Madrid. It's not like he's yeah. been doing any. It's not like he's doing anything differently than he's done since he was uh, 17. But, and I remember, like, I looked at Henry, our brother. We were watching, we were all watching the game. And I looked at him right before that shot. And I was like, man, if he has this shot, man, if he has a three to win the game, this is going to be legendary. And he goes, he has a three. But it's it's not even, like, it's not even enough to, like, call the shots now with Luka Doncic. Like, he, he, he breaks the, whatever bar you set for him, he passes it by a million. Yeah. Like, that's why it's becoming honestly kind of ridiculous to even put a bar on. Is he top 10? Is he top 5? I mean, why can't he be the best player in the league? I mean, it sounds crazy, but again, every every time we try to put something on him, seems to he seems to uh, break it. Um, so, yeah. And Doncic point- just has that, like, Magic, Bird, and Jason Kidd, and some degree LeBron effect, where he just seems like, yo, just put four guys from anywhere on the court with him. And they're gonna compete, <laughs> cause like Dallas, Dallas is a, their offense is incredibly efficient. They're great shooters, but you look at just their talent pool compared to the guys that the Clippers are putting out there, and it just doesn't look like they should be competing the way they are. And you just get the impression that so if Doncic is on the floor, he's gonna make everyone better, and they're always gonna have a chance. And 
that's the market makings of an extremely special player. Like, and I'm not, I'm not gonna. It is not a bash Melo time because Melo's had a great run in the bubble and a great season. But if there was a criticism about Melo, it was that you didn't feel that with him. Like as we learned with the Knicks, that you couldn't just put anyone around him and he, he's, he's gonna rise the level of his team. It's they're gonna flounder. I don't, I don't, it's, I don't get that impression with Prime Doncic. I, I, I feel like you put any team next to him. They're gonna compete for a playoff spot. They're gonna, they're gonna, they could beat any team in the NBA. That's how good he is. And yeah, I mean, look, it, the, it's the, remarkable. The Dallas Mavericks. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta put it blank. They stole Luka Doncic. Yes. Like they, they got him for dirt cheap, and like that, it made no sense at the time. Like, and this isn't even an uh, an indictment of the Atlanta Hawks. Like, yeah, they could have drafted Luka Doncic, but like, yo, Trey Young is great. So I'm not even. They're not even the teams that I look at. <laughs> yeah, they traded yeah, Luka Doncic. Yeah, that's not the team. At, yeah, I look at, and look honestly, people look at <laughs> people talk about the Phoenix Suns and the Sacramento Kings a lot, and yes, those are the primary two teams that you look at, and you say it doesn't make any sense. You hire Igor Kokoskov. You've got Vladi Divac and Pages Stoyakovich in the front office if you're the Kings. Like, it doesn't make any sense why Luka Doncic was passed by those two teams. But I, I look beyond that. I look at, like, I think there were about 20 teams that probably could have traded for Luka Doncic if they wanted to. Honestly, every team in the league could have traded for Luka Doncic if they really wanted to, and they didn't. So, like, for that, for the price that he was available for, which, again, was dirt cheap, every team in the league got, got floundered. Yeah. I know. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the Knicks absolutely should trade whatever they needed to get him. Every any team that was in that lottery that had the position to move up potentially, they should have just given up whatever it took. EJ, I remember there was a list of teams that were in conversations with the Atlanta Hawks, with the with the goal being either to get Mo Bamba or Luka Doncic, and it never made sense the Mo Bamba thing. I know the Knicks. It sounded like the Knicks were one of the teams that wanted Mo Bamba. Shockingly enough, <laughs> but. Like the Denver Nuggets were trying to trade up. Imagine Luka Doncic in Denver. The LA Clippers were trying to trade up in that draft. The uh, Chicago Bulls, the Boston Celtics, all of those teams got completely fleeced by the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, well, I think that I think that like this that was a situation where I think Doncic's background actually hurt him. I think that. Yeah. The teams fear drafting the European player that high. Fired, yeah. And him not being able to assimilate and adjust to NBA basketball. And and even though we have so many examples of European players becoming superstars and Hall of Famers, there's just too many other iterations where guys flopped. But again, my argument with always when you talk about that is just it's not I don't think it's disproportionate to just like NBA players flopping that are drafted in the top ten or five. Like I think that um, at least recently, maybe early on, you could say it was disproportionate. But I think recently, European guys come over. Anybody, guys from anywhere, come over. Basketball is such a universal sport now. Everybody knows how to play. So to me, it's just like you should just grade the player. And and to me, um, I I mean, I loved Trey Young as I've said on video. Um, but I didn't understand how someone didn't see Luka Doncic and thought he was a star given his accomplishments, like. Like we not we know enough now about the Spanish ACB league in the Euro League to know what it means to be the MVP of that league and to dominate. Yeah. So when you're 18 doing that, the notion that there are like people who are in the NBA 
who didn't understand that that meant something. Right. I, I that to no me was that to me like is is just unforgivable. Like like you know, Vlade and Pager got fired. Um, I'm not here to wish anybody gets fired, but uh, they they definitely earned not having those jobs any longer, considering Ryan. what happened. I, I can I you know Ryan McDonough is uh is gone. Well, he wasn't he wasn't there. The McDonough thing, I don't I don't blame him. I don't blame that front office because I don't blame them either because there was a lot no, of factors. Involved. Yeah, there were other no, factors involved, and yeah, I hate in Arizona and. You know, obviously the the franchise a lot of ties to the school. Yeah, I I get the I get the Aiden thing. I don't kill them as much on the Aiden thing. Um, but the Kings, I mean, that was the one on draft night. I mean, we said it when the pod, when we did the podcast after the draft. I tweeted it when it happened. Drafting Marvin Bagley over Doncic was just insane. It was just insane. Didn't make any sense. And now Bagley is a like, Bagley is a good Bagley is a good player, and still right. all the issues you had with Bagley are why anything you feel negatively about him now in the NBA is coming to light. It almost felt like these teams like didn't want to draft Doncic because they didn't like him, and like that was, and I, I mean that was what's being reported, what's been reported recently about the Sacramento Kings is that Vlad Divac, for whatever reason, you can get into whatever conspiracy, whatever, wasn't a fan of Doncic's dad. You know, it's a rumor, and that that may have played a role. Whether or not that that's legit, or whether or not that that is reasonable, is up for people to decide. But it almost it almost feels like these teams were drafting as if he wasn't there. Like they were just. Like, I definitely think like, there were some teams though that probably he did. Pro- I'm just, I'm sure his team definitely told some teams, "Yo, we're not coming over if you draft me." I guarantee well, you there was, was some. That was part of the conversation as well. I think there are some people that have that theory that he may have told those teams, "Yo, I'm just going to stay at Madrid if you draft me," which that. To me, it's still the interesting theory because think about the three teams that he didn't go to. None of them made any sense. Phoenix made some sense, but his agent, Bill Duffy, also reps DeAndre Ayton. So if he told Doncic, yo, we can get you to an even better spot than Phoenix, and my guy DeAndre could stay in Arizona, that'd be great. Now, and then who wants to go to Sacramento or Atlanta? And then you look at all the teams that were trying to trade up. They were kind of big market teams that made more sense for Luka Doncic than right. Atlanta for Sacramento. So, I tend to think that that was part of it, but I just feel like why not say that? I know that certain things are left unsaid in the NBA, but why would you lose your? Why would you die on that hill, Marvin Bagley? I just think it's better. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. Is that like, yeah, it's. It, I'm taking the risk. I'm sorry. I'm taking the risk. I'm saying I'm drafting him. And yeah. the guy, if the guy doesn't never comes over and he's lighting up still in the Euro League, then I have a great trade asset that I can use. I'm not, I'm not gonna not draft the guy who. I just don't think I don't know anybody who who, who could have done a basketball evaluation. Who I mean, Marvin Bagley, you got to see a million games of him, even if you weren't a basketball evaluator, took so all the time. I don't know who watched Marvin Bagley and knowing what Doncic accomplished could have said that Marvin Bagley was better. The problem I don't, I don't see. I, I did not see that. Aiden was different. For a lot of reasons, even though I thought Doncic was better, I I could understand even more. I could not understand Bagley. I couldn't understand a guy who is six ten, who doesn't have an outside shot, who doesn't play any any defense, and shown to be maybe injury prone. Like I don't, I didn't see how. And then now you look at him, and all those things are still true. And he's still talented. He was greatly talented in Duke. He's very talented with the Sacramento Kings. But I don't know how those flaws. Didn't make people think, and then you see what Doncic's doing, and you thought, "Oh no, I'm gonna take the guy who's 
the, the problem with Doncic was make a that run with, against you, teams again, in the NCAA one, you talked about the, the media pressure. The, the media, like, a lot of them were buying into Doncic, which is a bigger problem in his own right that we've talked about behind closed doors. But, like, the other, the other problem was that it goes di- deeper into that media problem was that a lot of people didn't, he didn't pass the eye test for a lot of people, which just wasn't, which made sense. I mean, if you watched the film, I mean, look, I'd argue if you watched the film consistently, you, you were watched, like, wow. I think if you watch the film and then you watch games, full games, I don't. Watch full games yeah. of Luka Doncic at Real Madrid, you would understand the context of what he was doing. But, but if you're somebody, if you watch the highlights, I can see why you look, you watch the guy and you're like, eh, he's doing good stuff. But like, I'm watching highlights of Marvin Bagley in high school, Sierra Canyon just dunking <laughs> on him. Why would I rather, why would I rather have that guy? Jesus. I get it from that perspective. But again, in the context of what Luka Doncic is doing in the league that he's doing it in, in the production, it was so obscene. And again, it also goes into not just the eye test, but people looking at box score numbers and saying, oh, Doncic, what is he, 15, 16, 17 points a game? I mean, that's, I mean, that's all right. But, but again, so you got to understand European basketball. Yeah. yeah, people saying, oh, 17. I mean, when he gets to the NBA, what is he averaging, 12? I mean, that's, that's not great. It. But again, it's, it's, <laughs> it's totally different yeah, style it's of play. It's a different situation. Yeah. The assist numbers, much tougher to get, a, in a, to get an assist tracked or, stat, or uh, charted. In in the Euro League, as it is in the NBA, you gotta you have to really assist in Europe or real assist rather than the NBA. Guy, you can give a guy the, the yeah, ball, and also like the defense. As crazy as people think, the defense is actually better. <laughs> yeah, the defense is much better. Yeah, because yeah. It, you can you can play more physical. Yes. and 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 also because of the style of play. Right, the rule that, basing is much tougher to exactly score. yeah it's not it's not the same so it's so 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 even though the quote-unquote athletes and players might not be better individual defenders in theory the defense is still better because of their commitment to playing defense and the right. rules and then the style hey, and the way teams are in the sets teams are running and it's like so pretty- the points and stuff you're never gonna see a guy average 30 in the early league like no one does it like no one yeah. like so yeah it was just it was a lot of like <laughs> The easiest, most simplest thing that I could frame to people and why Doncic was the only guy you should have drafted number one in that draft was the fact that he played in the Euro in the Euro basket and was one of the fivest players yeah, in the entire exactly. with a tournament that had double digit number ten plus fifteen plus NBA players playing in it. Yeah. The guy was on par with Chris Asporingis, Goran Dragic, who was an all star at the time, and Boyan Bogdanovich. Bogdan Bogdanovich, he was on the par with all those guys. Yeah, the Euro, and, I agree. The Eurobasket should have sealed the deal. I don't know how there was more questions after that. Yeah, the guy literally won the the, the championship with <laughs> yeah playing with Goran Dragic and Zoran Dragic again. So many things, but like, and I kind of feel bad because I'm like, man, I wish we had another Luka Doncic so that like you know we can find another gold star in the scouting community. But you know, the job that was like the easiest scout ever. You know, you didn't have to really. It was, it was it was so easy. It only gets harder now. Zion was the second easiest. Like that yeah. one was also easy. But then you had the injury factor, which we've seen now has kind of been a bugaboo. But honestly, I think Kate Cunningham will be equally easy next season. Oh, we'll, uh, scolding hot take there yeah. to end the show. Uh, um, 
on a YouTube video. Yeah, but, that's a scolding hot take to end the show. But I'm excited. Yo, I'm excited. Uh, you know, first of all, shout out again. Shout out to these guys for their uh, for their activism. Uh, I'm excited for whenever playoff basketball does happen. If it does happen, um, I think that the 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 second round. I, I said I said uh, on, I think I said on this podcast that I think the you know the playoffs really needs to come to begins in the second round. These second round matchups are going to be outstanding. Um, I really I think they're both toss up series. I really do because I'm you know the Bucks will dispatch the Magic when we play again, and um and I think I mean Raptors Celtics I I mean I don't I don't know it can go both ways, and then um and I think the West you know obviously we still got you know some situations to figure out with two of the series but um the Lakers deserve some credit for really putting their throat their their foot on the throat of the Blazers after um very lackluster game one, and I think LeBron has been outstanding in understanding that he can no longer uh he can no longer like say i'm gonna let let these guys get involved in the game and then i'm gonna get mine these guys aren't good enough to do that with i know he has a team that's better than cleveland but besides ad all those other guys are just like the cleveland guys so like he started realizing oh i gotta just start dominating like immediately me and ad and then those guys will get confidence like as they see us get out to early leads and and play, you know, better. So I think that LeBron made the mental adjustment in the, in the change, and now we've seen them kind of just dispatch Portland. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see what's going to happen in, the, in these Western Conference players as well. But uh, I think that's going to be it, though. That's going to be it for this podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed listening. I think we had a good conversation. Actually, longer than we expected to go. So, um, so you know, treat for you guys, even though this is probably more normal time for our normal podcast. Of course, uh, check out all of our podcasts on New Generation Podcast Network. That's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, be sure to check us out on social media, uh, New Generation Media, on uh, on Facebook, New Generation Pod, on Twitter, uh, New Generation uh, Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out our YouTube channel, New Generation Media, as well, where we have, if you're a comic book fan, obviously DC Fandoms this past weekend. I know we didn't have a podcast, but we did do... A long, long series of videos. Part of the reason why we haven't gotten to do Hero Talk or Sports Talk or any podcast in a while. Um, a big series of videos on DC Fandom. Eight videos recapping all the biggest events. Check that out. Again, you can find that on YouTube channel, New Generation Media, um, where not only we have those videos, but that's where we do our uh, video podcast, Uncommitted, which I talked about earlier, our basketball recruiting podcast. That's going to be coming up shortly. Um, we're going to have an NBA draft series coming up shortly. So you want to you make sure you subscribe to that channel, New Generation Media on uh, YouTube. And follow me on social media as well, if I didn't say it before. Uh, EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter, Action EJ on Instagram. Thank you guys so much for listening in. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.